The Bible reading for today is comprised of a selection of Proverbs taken from the book of Proverbs as recorded in the English Standard Translation. Beginning with Proverbs 19, verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Next is Proverbs 24, verse 16. For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. And finally, Proverbs 30, verses 7 to 9. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, um, as Sandra said, I'm Susanna. I'm the children's pastor here. It's always um, a joy to be here and to worship, um, worship with you. So it's wonderful. So to start out, I'm going to do a little review with you. I'm going to see if you were paying attention during the welcome. So we have been doing Proverbs. And remember, we've had three ingredients. What was the first ingredient? Steadfast love. And then we had, be not wise in your own eyes. And <laughs> let me hear it. Let me hear it. <laughs> Honor God with your resources. So steadfast love, not wise in your own eyes, or trusting in God and honoring God with our resources. And so we take these ingredients and we cook them. Right? We, we think about putting them together, turning on the heat, have to con, you know, see what happens in life with these ingredients. And then we set the table because God sets the table for us. So we set the table and what comes next? We give thanks. We say grace. So that is what we're going to do today. Today we're going to Give thanks and think about thankfulness and think about it in this context of Proverbs. So there are three ways that we've looked at that Proverbs teaches us to be thankful. The first is the movement of recognizing the good that is around us and resting. The second is that we give thanks because God is faithful and he will always pick us up. And the third that we're going to look at is that God, we give thanks because of the abundant life that is rooted in prayer and not in what we possess or what we have. We give thanks for the good news in our lives. We give thanks to God because all good things come from him. Proverbs 19.23, which we read this morning, tells us that fearing God leads to life, and in him we rest satisfied. 
But satisfaction is much more elusive than we often admit. Too often, it sits precisely out of reach. We think, if I could just marry this person, or if I had this job, or if I owned my home, or my mortgage was paid off, or if the church was better at, you guys can fill in the blank. <laughs> the point is, these are all good things. But are they what determines a good life? Or even, can life be good without these things? Because one thing I know for sure is that there's always something else. There's always one more thing. Through the media, we are inundated with advertisements and influencers who tell us if we have this thing, we will be satisfied. And we want to believe that that will be enough, that one thing. We are vulnerable to these promises because dissatisfaction is innate, inherent in our nature. It is no surprise that the first sin in the Bible comes when the happy couple in paradise want one more thing. The first movement to gratitude is to stop reaching for that thing and to rest. To choose to rest and to see the goodness that is already all around us. Really see the good and enjoy it. To appreciate the people by our side, this beautiful landscape in the morning sun, our work that gives us purpose, and the food on our table. A favorite verse in the Bible for me that sums this up is from Psalm 16.6, and it says, the lines have fallen for me in good places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. This verse comes to my mind sometimes when I'm with my family or just walking through my neighborhood. And it reminds me that God has been good. And I simply repeat it. The lines have fallen for me in good places. Because there is so much good. What does the psalmist mean when he writes this? He's talking about the boundary lines between one person's property and the other's. He is referring to enjoying the plot of ground under your feet, whether it be rocky or flat, small or large, and to give thanks for that plot of land and to tend it well. When I repeat, the lines have fallen for me in good places, it means I will choose to trust God with what he's given me and not sneak out in the night to move the boundary lines. <laughs> it means to be content with my work, with my living, living within my means, and trusting that God will provide in the future as he is doing today. What are the gifts that God has given you in this life? The gift of living in this beautiful city, our libraries, our community centers, the healthcare we have, getting to worship here together on Sunday mornings in this diverse community, and praying together and journeying together. Let's start with that. We have so much to be thankful for, and God is the source of all of these good things, and he is the one that sustains them. The first step to living into thankfulness is taking an active role in acknowledging the good in our lives. Second, we give thanks because God is faithful. Undeniably, we become faithful people when we give thanks 
even when the things to give thanks for are scarce. At times, the only thing we can give thankful for is that God is there with us. Proverbs 24:16 says, "For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked will stumble in times of calamity." We rest secure not because everything always goes well, rather because God will uphold us. Let's see how this proverb is played out in the book of Ruth. Ruth, if you know it, takes place in the time of the judges. And there was a famine in the land, so Ruth moved with her husband and her two sons to Moab. And both the sons take Moabite wives, one of which is Ruth. But then three huge blows happen to Naomi. Or I, I think I said Ruth. To Naomi, who moves with her husband and her two kids. There are three blows to Naomi and her family. Her husband dies, her oldest son dies, and then her youngest son dies. So she wants to send her daughter-in-laws home, who have married these sons that are now dead. And one of those daughters-in-law is Ruth. But Ruth doesn't want to leave her. So they return, just Naomi and Ruth now, they return to Bethlehem. But the homecoming brings no comfort to Naomi. She says, my life is desolate. Call me Mara which means bitterness, because God has judged me. The actual verse she says is, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? But now, let's think about Ruth. Why would Ruth choose to unite herself to this woman with a bitter life? Why would she not go home to her family and to her country? You see, she, she says to Naomi when she's telling her to go home, Ruth pleads, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Ruth says this to Naomi because she sees something in Naomi that is different. She sees something special about Naomi's people. But most of all, she sees something about Naomi's God that she cannot let go of. She has tasted that God is good, and she will not turn back. Even when Naomi was focused on her own misfortune, the faithfulness of God remained steady in her life to the point that Ruth saw it. When she had a taste of God's goodness, Ruth had to grab onto it. And maybe you know what this is like. Maybe you've, you've seen that as a Ruth. You've seen that God in other people, and you just want to grab it. At other times, our experience in life is like Naomi's, and we don't know what God is doing. We cannot sense his presence in our lives. We don't know what's going to happen, and we are angry and bitter without hope for a way out. But God is still holding us, even though it is unseen, 
And in those difficult and painful times, this story reminds us, nevertheless, he can still be glorified through us and continue to work in us. Even more, it is through the difficult times that God cultivates trust and teaches us thanksgiving beyond what we can sense or feel. Naomi could not see the goodness of God, but Ruth could. That is why we walk in community, why we uphold each other. For all of us, there will be times when we will need somebody else to tell us that they see God in us and around us. We all need others to walk with us when we are weak. That is what the community of faith does for one another. That is what our community here at First Baptist does for each other. We strive to walk with each other through good and bad times. When these two women arrive in Bethlehem during the the barley harvest, Ruth jumps right in gathering up the barley, which is something that the poor and the foreigners could do. They could gather the barley that had fallen on the ground. And then Boaz, who's actually a relative of Naomi, sees Ruth, and he's happy that that she is in his field, makes sure everything is safe and secure for her, and he even invites her to have lunch with his workers. And he blesses her. He says to her, may God give you a full reward for your faithfulness to Naomi, for he is the God under whose wings you have come to take refuge. After this blessing and meal, the text says Ruth was satisfied. It's the same Hebrew word in the Proverbs. She ate and was satisfied, and she even had something left over. Ruth, a foreigner, has sought the Lord in hardship, and now she has been welcomed into a family, into a people, and unto the care of God. She's taking shelter under his wings. And later, actually, Boaz and Ruth get married. So this is an unexpected turn of faithfulness, and this is how God works in our lives. He welcomes all of us to receive his care and carries us through the hard times. Because difficult times will come, but God will see us through them all. Years later, King David describes the faithfulness in the Lord of the Lord in Psalm 34, saying, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. David wrote this psalm on the run from King Saul. He would spend years running and hiding, and this is precisely when he would learn to trust God. David would discover God's faithfulness for himself just as his grandparents, Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi, had discovered it in their hard times. Do you see how this wisdom of God continues to be renewed in each generation? God hasn't stopped working out his purposes of redemption in that family, but he continues to bring redemption through us, to us. Through the life of Jesus, Redemption and salvation is offered up to us and extends to the whole human race. God's faithfulness takes place in the ordinary moments of life. We learn to trust him when he sustains us through the difficult times. When I was working at Kimbrace Community Society, there was one of the refugees who came from Africa. And when she came, 
She came with her three sons, 20, 17, and eight, but her husband was not able to come with her because he passed away. He was killed before they could make the trip. And she was a strong, kind, faithful woman, and we decided we would cook the community meal together. So we cooked with these, you know, oil, onion, tomato, spinach, peanut butter, mixed it together. We were listening to, to Oliver Matutsi music, and as we listened and talked, she said her biggest fear was that her boys would be growing up without their father, without a male figure in their life. But she said what sustained her through all of that was every morning she would go to the local church and she would do mass and she would pray. She could sense that God was with her. And God carried her through that time. And in a few weeks after that, she was able to move to another province to be with family. So God sustained her. It's through the difficult times in life that we can see God carrying us through. So we choose to walk in thanksgiving. We give thanks for what is good. We resist the urge to seek just one more thing. When things are challenging and we feel all is lost, we can give thanks to God because he is faithful and will see us through. Third and lastly, we give thanks because abundant life is rooted in prayer and not in what we have. Our last proverb that we read is in fact a prayer. Agur, the author of this section of Proverbs, models the dependency on God that is essential for wisdom. As Pastor David mentioned a few weeks ago, to get wisdom, you have to practice it. To love, you have to start loving. Here we see to trust, you have to trust. And this is where the book of Proverbs shows us how to grow in that trust. A couple of weeks ago, actually, um, one of my children asked me, was asking me about prayer. And, um, and they said, but mom, what does prayer really do anyway? Wouldn't it be better if I just did it and didn't pray about it? <laughs> and I was thinking, how often do I think and act this way? But we become wise and grow in trust when we begin to pray and we seek God. To be a disciple is to come to God with our needs. This is what Jesus taught his friends when he taught them to pray, our Father, give us our daily bread. A thankful life is rooted and established in daily prayer and daily bread. Agur's prayer is about exactly that. I'm going to read it again. It says, two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Least I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or least I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This prayer is honest and humble and has the power to change your life when you pray it. To pray this way, way recognizes 
that we are frail. It recognizes that we are easily broken when things don't go our way, and we are easily exalted when they do. He's saying, keep me right here with you. Help me trust in you, God. Don't let me believe that I am God and my good fortune and lose track of who I am and who you are getting lost in my own comfort. Neither let me be needy and turn from you in desperation. This prayer asks, let me depend on you. Since the moment I first read this prayer when I was 20, it has been like a trail marker for me, showing me the narrow path. And if you are like me, you will continue to struggle through this prayer, trying to trust God and depend on him. I think that for our community, this prayer is crucial in this time. We will be changed as a community when we receive the gift and the responsibility of our new building. What will those changes be? How will the wealth of that Vancouver real estate affect us personally and as a community? It will be an incredible space and it will have large financial obligations. The wisdom of this prayer reminds us that with wealth often comes self-glorification and believing we don't need God. Well, on the other hand, the threat of not making ends meet can push us into fearful desperation. So we must be people of prayer. We must be people of gratitude and daily dependence on God, recognizing that all good gifts, all our abilities, all of our resources come from his hand and in him they will complete their good purpose. And I have seen how, how God has always been supplying for us in children's ministry. When we first started at St. Andrews, we had a small group of kids and, a, and the, just the right number of leaders came for that, those kids in that space. And as we move to CPC, more leaders have come, more children have come, and it just keeps being exactly measured out. <laughs> the right amount of leaders for the right amount of children. And so we, again, I trust God as we move into this bigger space and more children come, he will continue to call leaders that will bring their gifts and long to care for the children. Because God keeps supplying just what we need for today. As a ministry, we depend on him. Day-to-day -day dependence on God is our bread and butter. When we sit down together at the table, it is time for us to bring into unison our physical needs with our spiritual needs. The needs of our body with the needs of our souls. We are human. We need to eat this food. We are human. We need a relationship with God. Only in him will our stomachs be full. Only in him will our hearts rest. And in him, we will have something left over to offer to others. So as I close, I'm going to invite Kira up. Um, and Kira is going to sing for us a song of grace. And it's a song um, that she wrote um, with, with Brendan. They wrote the words together. It's based on Psalm 104.
and Kira wrote the music. And my hope is that as we listen to this song, we will commit to making these moments of grace in our lives a time that we will rest satisfied in both body and soul, trusting that the God who cares for us will give us all we need, all good things in their season. Maker of earth, sustainer of life, you give us this bread to satisfy, oil to make our faces shine. With gladdened hearts, we drink of the vine. We look to you, Lord, to give us our food. By your word, all things are being renewed. Birds of the sky and fish of the sea all join our song of praise to thee. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.